Today's Bible reading is taken from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 18. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, and that you may know how to answer everyone. The Kikas will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, send you his greetings. As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Lympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write these greetings in my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome back. Great to see you. Uh, once again, if you can have your Bible open to Colossians chapter 4 as we go through it, I'm sure it'll help you as I go through it. But let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you so much for these living words. Lord, may your spirit uh, make these words come alive and, and help us to receive it with great joy. Uh, may these words be deeply planted and bear fruit in the way that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite moments of the Lord of the Rings trilogy is actually when the initial group is formed. You know, representatives of Rohan and Gondor, the elves and dwarves, uh, uh, and they all come together. The hobbits all come together in Lothlorien, and there they meet to, uh, to discuss what they're going to do about this ring and Mordor. 
and the fight breaks out because every group thinks that they know what to do best and no one trusts one another. And out of this argument, a small voice, is, a voice comes. It's the voice of Hobbit. Um, it's the voice of Frodo. He says, I'll take the ring to Mordor to destroy it. But I don't know the way. And to that, Gandalf the wizard chimes in and he says, um, I'll help you bear this burden as long as it's yours to bear. And Aragorn, the king, adds, my king, my, my life, or by, uh, by my life or death, I can protect you. I will. You have my word, uh, sword. Legolas, the elf, replies, you have my bow. Gimli, the dwarf, says, and my axe. And Boromir, Samwise, Gam, uh, Gamgee, Pippin, and Merry chime in as well. And it's here Elrond, uh, the, 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 the chief um, elf, pronounces, Nine companions, so be it. You shall be the fellowship of the ring. And the music sort of swells. <laughs> Clearly, when Elrond says, You shall be the fellowship of the ring, he doesn't mean that they will be a group of people who will meet once in a while for barbecue or go on hiking together to have a good time once in a while. Right? That's not what he means when he says fellowship of the ring. Now this group is a group that's bound uh, by a common mission uh, against something. Uh, it's, uh, they, they will be brothers who will, who will support each other, even die for one another. Now, that's not how we normally think of the church, but that is what our fellowship, fellowship at Shatin Church, is all about as well. In the past six weeks, we've heard from Colossians about the greatness of the gospel of Jesus, how Jesus fills the whole universe, how we don't have anything else that we need apart from him. And it is in him we are found. We have died and risen again with Christ, and we are united not just with Christ, but with one another in this fellowship of the gospel. Uh, and Paul, as Paul ends this letter, he actually says now that we have a mission. The mission isn't just for the inside, right? The inward looking as we uh, help each other to grow, to be firmly rooted and grow in Christ. The mission is also for the outside, as we look to outsiders. We are a fellowship together. And as we looked outside, we should be a fellowship that's devoted to prayer, that's devoted also to speaking of the gospel. So he starts in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Shatana Anglican, I think, excels in many, many ways. I think it ex we excel in humility, in generosity, in teaching of God's word, applying it. Uh, and it's a great church in so many ways. I'm really thankful uh, for the privilege of being a pastor here. But if I'm honest, actually, there is one area that we do not excel in. I think that's prayer. We don't excel in prayer. If the church prayer gathering is any, uh, any indication, uh, we're failing at it. Devote yourselves to prayer. Notice it, it doesn't say, uh, uh, pray when you feel like it. Come to the prayer gathering when nothing else comes up. No, it doesn't say that. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. He knows, I mean, he himself, as Paul the Apostle, he himself finds it difficult. Devote yourselves to prayer. He is devoted to prayer. Remember in chapter 1, he told us that actually he prays for Colossians, this church that he's never met. And praying is supposed to be hard. Take a look at verse 12. And when he mentions Epaphras, 
Epaphras says he's wrestling in prayer. This is a word that we've seen before, agonizomai, right? Contend strenuously. He's wrestling in prayer for the Colossians. For them to grow, he's wrestling like Jacob was wrestling uh, with God, with the angel of God, uh, re- wrestling and not letting this angel go until he received a blessing. He's saying he's wrestling, he's agonizing in prayer like that. Church, when was the last time you wrestled in prayer like that? You might have wrestled in prayer like that, maybe for something else, but, but, but for the church? Right? Because that is what he's wrestling in prayer for. He's praying for the church. What should we pray for? What's so urgent that we should pray uh, agonizing in this way, contending strenuously? I'll take a look at verse 12. To stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. He's praying for the church, for the growth of the church. He's praying that people's knowledge of God would grow more and more, that they would bear fruit in every good work, that they would live a life worthy of the Lord, that they would persevere and endure till the very end, until Jesus comes back, that we would stand blameless and holy. That's what he's praying for. Now, we're good at praying for promotions or guidance uh, for, um, I don't know, for our kids to get into the right schools or something like that. We wrestle with God. Is this what we wrestle with. Church, what do you pray for? What do we pray for? But here in this text, he also asks for a specific prayer. It's not just to stand firm and mature in endurance, but for the gospel door to open. Verse 3, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Once again, it's worth pointing out that he's writing from prison cells, he, from a prison cell, but he doesn't, he doesn't ask for the prison door to open. That's not what he asked for. He asked for the door of the message of the gospel to open. You know why? Because he values the gospel above all things. He thinks that that is the most urgent thing. Actually, in Philippians, he says actually he rejoices even in prison cell because there he was able to advance the gospel. The door was open for him. Now, we cherish the gospel. We have just heard uh, in the past six weeks how great Jesus is, how the, the greatness of the finished salvation, how we are found in him. That should be the most important thing for us as well. And if we value that, We would pray for gospel opportunities, for the doors to open, for us to be able to proclaim the mystery of Christ and to do that clearly, to make most of every opportunity. And people do do that. As Methodist Bishop Emilio de uh, Carvalho from Marxist Angola, uh, he was corresponding with another pastor, uh, uh, Pastor William Muleman in Duke. And this is what he wrote. The government does what it needs to do. The church does what it needs to do. If we go to jail for being the church, we shall go to jail. Jail is a wonderful place for Christian evangelism. Our our church made some of most its dramatic gains during the revolutions when so many of us were in jail. In jail, you have everyone there in one place. You have time to preach and teach. Sure, 20,000 of our Methodist pastors were killed during the revolution, but we came out of jail a much larger and stronger church. 
Can you just imagine mentioning, uh, sure, 20,000 of our Methodist pastors were killed. But you know what? They valued the gospel more. And so he's able to rejoice. He's able to rejoice in the midst of that persecution because this is what he valued. And this is what he prayed for. This is what those pastors who died were praying for. Church, what do we pray for? Friends, I know there is a lot going on in Hong Kong. COVID, the political crisis, and it feels like it's end of the world, that things are just crashing in. Friends, it's not the end of the world. You know what? God is doing something here in this city, and you are placed here for a reason. Easter is coming up. Can we pray for the doors of the gospel to be open in our situation, with our friends, with our, in our workplaces? Can we pray for that? What are we praying for? Of course, praying for gospel opportunities like this would lead to speaking for the gospel. Look what Paul tells Colossians to do. Verse 6, Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, it might be unwise to go into the workplace and try to steer every conversation towards the gospel. Right? That's not what you're supposed to do. It's, uh, to, every friendship meeting or everything that you do, it's not good to try to steer everything so that you, go, you talk about Jesus and his death and resurrection or something like this. Right? You are not there for that reason, but you are there. Um, but you should be able to answer when people ask good questions about your faith. Right? Be ready to answer so that you may know how to answer everyone. Make most of those opportunities. It's literally redeem the time. Make it worth, uh, worthwhile. Make it count. Pastor Dick Lucas put it really well. He said, we go to the office to work, not to evangelize. But by being ready and willing to respond, the way is open um, to a more serene, more successful approach to each day's opportunities. It opens a way, too, for a greater dependence on God, leading as well uh, as for more relevant and sensitive witness suited to each individual. You know, you're not, you don't go to the office to evangelize. You go there to work. But if you work differently, people will ask questions. And you should capitalize on that opportunity. You should be ready to share. Uh, 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 you should be able to answer um, their questions. It's one of the best opportunities for evangelism when people ask you, when people give you the time to answer. And you can freely open up and share about Jesus. Of course, this assumes, though, that you are living, you're working and living in a way that's different, that raises questions from people. Is that how we live? And if we live in a way that's outlined in Colossians, it would raise questions, wouldn't it? In this cancel culture, in this justice-obsessed, I mean, justice-obsessed is good, uh, but uh, in, in a place where th there's no forgiveness, there's no grace. What if Christians stood out in forgiveness, in, in, in showing grace to people? In this uh, culture that's obsessed with my, uh, my rights, um, self-fulfillment, what if your marriage reflected uh, Christ and Christ's love for the church as you submitted to one another, as you love one another, uh, you prefer the other person's needs, and that's the mode that, of, of being uh, with you, uh, not just with, with your wife or spouse, but with other people. That would raise questions. In this children and education-obsessed, 
um, culture that we live in, what if we valued the gospel more? Right? And it was obvious to people that what's most important to you for your children is your children's faith, and they grow up in Jesus. That would raise questions, wouldn't it? What if in the workplace, right? You worked hard, not, when you're, not just when your boss is looking, but when he is not looking. That would, uh, what if you worked with sincerity of heart? What if in this culture uh, where, you know, in the company where the bosses, the culture is to take advantage of the juniors, to make them work and sort of treat them like dirt? You don't do that. You treat them fairly and justly. And that's how you dealt with your customers as well. You, that would raise questions, wouldn't it? We are called to live in a way that raises questions. And when people do ask questions about our life, we ought to be ready to give the answer, to make most of that opportunity. And when we answer, we should be full of grace, full of grace, seasoned with salt. Winning an argument is not the goal. Winning this person to Jesus is the goal. And we do that by being gracious, by speaking in a way that shows the grace that we have received with others. There's a character in the novel Cold Comfort Farm who says, tell burn in hell and I ought to be the one who tells them so. <laughs> That's not gracious. That's not our attitude. It shouldn't be. Seasoned with salt. Uh, Mary's been cooking with these rock salt. It's uh, not the, the, the small grain ones. It's sort of the big grain ones. Uh, and what happens then is sometimes, uh, Mary's cooking is great. This is not a criticism in any way. <laughs> but sometimes, uh, you know, it doesn't, the, the, the uh, salt doesn't get evened out throughout the food. But, you know, you, you sort of bite into this one of these salt uh, 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 things. And then, you know, that, that, it, it brings out its favor. The, the color comes out. And it's just great, right? And that's, how, that, that's what Paul's recommending us to do, that our conversations would be se- should be seasoned with humor and charm. I don't know, your general knowledge or whatever. Uh, one pastor said, you know, sometimes uh, Christians, are full of, uh, Christians speak in a way that's full of grace, but it's just dreadfully boring. And it shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Full of grace, seasoned with salt making most of the opportunity. Friends, people in Hong Kong are asking questions now. How many times? How many times have you been asked, will you stay here or will you go somewhere, uh, immigrate? How many times have you been asked, will you take the vaccine? What's your plans for the future? Have you thought about how to make most of that opportunity? to make that conversation uh, full of grace, seasoned with salt, to redeem that time, to make it count. Church, we're called to speak for the gospel. Let's think about that. Let's pray about that. Let's converse to one another about that, how to do that the best. But as I said in the beginning, we don't do this alone. We do this as a fellowship of the gospel. Paul in this last section, verses um, 7 through 18, uh, he mentions 11 different names. Different names, sorry, that should be 7 through 18, not 17 and 18. Paul mentions 11 names in this section from all sorts of background. 
Some of these people are Jews. Some of these people are uh, Gentiles. Some of these people are actually uh, free, but also there are slaves. Onesimus uh, is a slave, freed slave, uh, uh, a slave being returned. Uh, Dr. Luke, uh, many Greek doctors at the time were actually slaves. He might actually have been a slave. Who knows? There are people with stellar reputation here, like Barnabas, I mean, sterling reputation, and, and people who have sort of mixed reputation. Mark. Mark once crossed Paul that he didn't want anything to do um, with Mark. Well, he's in there. Demas, who later uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy, uh, who was sort of, he says he loved the world and he deserted Paul. Well, he's in there. I mean, church sometimes is full of these people as well. There's Nympha, Nympha, a woman who is probably a wealthy woman with a large house who's hosting a church in her house in Laodicea. She's in there. It's a strikingly mixed group of people. You remember chapter 3, 11? When Paul said, here in the church, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is a group of people who say, actually, it doesn't matter where you've, you come from, how well you've been educated, what you do for a job, whether you're free or not, Christ is everything for me. And you are in Christ, and so you are in my family, you are in our fellowship. That's what Paul is trying to point out with this list. One of the tragedies of this COVID crisis, I think, is that we aren't able to meet. And you should know what we're doing today is not quite church. You know, that's part of church, but that's not quite fullness of the church. That's not what this church is about, right? The way that we're doing the church right now gives you the impression that you can be at home alone, sort of downloading information, singing and praying on your own, and that's church. It's not church. The church is a gathering of God's people from all over the place to come together using their gifts to help to grow one another, going out there with the common sense of mission. That is church. Gathering of people is church. Our relationship and the fellowship is church. I hope you know that what we're doing today is lacking, that you long to return, the first chance that the government allows us to do so. The church is people who are gathered for a common purpose. It's not an individual affair, but a team affair. And we're given a mission to do. Take a look at what Paul calls some of his friends. Uh, verse 7. Tychicus is called a fellow servant, literally fellow slave, a fellow person who is owned by Jesus. His life is not his own. It's, he answers to Jesus alone. Tychicus is a fellow slave of Christ. Aristarchus in verse 10 is called a fellow prisoner. Maybe he was in prison with Paul uh, himself, or maybe he's just saying something like, maybe he, he's a person who's also captured by the gospel, captured by Jesus, fellow prisoner of the gospel. It's, it's clear that, uh, that they share the same mission. Verse 10 and 11, uh, Mark and Justice are called fellow workers of Paul. Co-workers, fellow workers. Paul, when he came to church, saw 
fellowship of the gospel. Paul, when he came to church, came to meet people who will work with him, who will be his co-slaves and co-prisoners and co-workers for the sake of the gospel. People who would support each other in this mission, who even would go to prison for this mission. Friends, why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? Do you come for a private time of devotion? To sing praises to God on your own? To actually feed from God's word? And some of these things are great things. I mean, all of those things are great things. But that shouldn't be the only reason why you come to church. When you come to Shatin Church, come to look for fellow slaves of Christ, fellow workers in the gospel, people, who, for whom you, you, people with whom you can be imprisoned. That's what we should come to church for, to form this fellowship, to deepen our fellowship, not with just God, but with one another and with the shared sense of mission out there. And today, we're going to baptize Gary. Could you let Gary know? that he's not just welcome in Shatin Church to, to, to come and worship on Sundays, but that you'll welcome him to this fellowship, to these relationships that's bound by the common mission that's found in Jesus Christ. We need such a fellowship because living for the gospel Standing out, distinct, uh, living distinctly, standing out in this way is hard and it has its cost. And so as Paul ends this letter, he picks up the pen and he writes with his handwriting, verse 18, and he reminds them of the cost. He says, remember my chains. Remember my chains. Following Jesus has its cost. But he doesn't just end the letter there. He says actually, he ends the letter with, grace be with you. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, living differently is hard. But grace be with you. The grace that's found in Jesus Christ, that's everything. That's everything. Jesus is everything, and we are found in him. May the grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship of the gospel that you have formed in Shatin. We thank you for the church. We thank you for Gary. We thank you for uh, Shinga, Daniel, Avkaris, uh, and others who are here today. Uh, we thank you for um, th th that we are not alone in being sent out in this mission, but we are sent out together as a fellowship of the gospel. Lord, as a fellowship, help us to speak out to one another the truth of your word. Help us to encourage one another to grow in you and to keep going in you. Help us to uh, be a, a fellowship that encourages each other to pray, uh, to speak for the gospel. And Lord, as we live our lives differently together, Lord, as we pray and speak for the gospel, many more people, would you add many more people to this fellowship? that would bring great honor and glory to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.